Hello there, Peter Mansbridge here with the latest episode of The Bridge. It's Friday, you know what that means, it's the weekend special. And hello there, Peter Mansbridge here, end of another week. The weekend special upcoming in just the next few moments, but I did first want to say something else. Can you imagine, or try to imagine, try to imagine it's like a really hot summer's day. And it happens to be where you live, a voting day. So you head to the polls because you're a committed citizen and you want to take part in the process. You believe in democracy. This is the big day. This is the opportunity to have your say in the way your community or your province or your country is going to be run. So you want to vote. And you get to the voting area, wherever it may be, maybe in a school, maybe in a church, maybe in some kind of, you know, civic building of some kind. And there's a big lineup outside. And it stretches for, you know, a few blocks of other people who are equally committed because they want to be part of the process. So they line up. But remember what I said to start? It is a hot day. It's really hot. And, you know, you didn't know there was going to be a lineup. So you didn't bring any water. But then somebody arrives with cases of water for their fellow citizens. Cases filled with bottles of water. And that person starts to walk the line to hand out water. And then, bang, the police arrive. They arrest this guy. Because it's illegal, the people are told, to have water brought to you while you're waiting in the line to vote. Now, that could never happen in Canada, right? Well, I sure hope it couldn't happen in Canada. But apparently it is going to start happening in the state of Georgia to our good neighbors to the south. Now, Georgia is traditionally a Republican state. There's a Republican governor and a Republican state legislature. The two senators who were just elected for Washington from Georgia are Democrats, which has given Democrats control of the Senate and has given no end of concern to the Republicans and especially to Donald Trump, who tried to overturn the election results in Georgia. So the Republican state legislature has introduced a whole series of new laws, which most people say are basically laws that will suppress the vote in that state. suppress a certain element of the vote. Well, where do lineups happen in Georgia during elections? Usually, not exclusively, but usually in precincts that are primarily minority precincts. The major number of people of voting age in those precincts are for minorities who traditionally vote Democrat. 
Georgia is a southern state. It's hot there quite a bit. The odds are that when you have an election in Georgia, it's going to be hot. And in those precincts, there are going to be lineups where people might want some water. Not going to happen anymore. Now, hey, it's a democracy. These people were elected legitimately. And this is the law they've passed. I just hope we never see something like that in our country. The President of the United States yesterday, Joe Biden, when asked about this, he's a Democrat, of course, said that was sick. The water law and other parts of the legislation that were passed called it sick. Well, most reasonable people, no matter how they may feel about Joe Biden, would probably agree that it's sick. Anyway, as I said, we live in a different country. And I hope that something like that could never happen here. All right, it's the weekend special. That means, you know what it means. It means your letters, your thoughts, your ideas. And once again this week, there have been a lot of letters. And for the most part, people have remembered to include their name and their uh, place where they were writing from. So we get a sense of, you know, primarily the country in terms of different moods and different feelings. And the number, you know, kind of the major topics for this week have been around this issue of teachers and vaccines. Uh, so will you hear, you'll hear those kind of comments sprinkled throughout um, the mail today. So let's get at it. Once again, <clears throat> just a reminder, while I do read every email that comes in, when I start reading some of them on the air, I don't read all of them, I read some of them, um, I also don't read the whole letter, with a few rare exceptions, especially seeing as some of you are getting really... <laughs> You're, you love writing. Anyway, here we go. Ted Harmon writes from Westmount and North Hatley, Quebec. I guess, I guess what that means is he has a play. You know, he, he lives in Westmount in Montreal, but he also has a place in North Hatley, Quebec, which is a beautiful area south of Montreal. I think it's south of Montreal. So Ted writes, count me among those. Well, first of all, he says, let me say how happy I am that I found your podcast. I'm one of those people who chooses the voices in their life carefully, and I'm delighted to hear your voice again. Too often voices like yours leave our lives and are seldom, if ever, heard from again. You know, I, that's not why I did this, Ted, but I, I certainly appreciate what you're saying. Every once in a while, I'll bump into somebody I haven't seen you know, in 10 years since they retired. I'll bump into them walking on the street. And it's a delight to see them again. And it's a puzzle because they were such a part of my life because I heard them on the radio or I read them in the newspaper or what have you. And suddenly they were gone. And in that moment on the street, they're back again. And it's a treat. 
And so I'm flattered, Ted, that you mentioned uh, me in that in that fashion. Anyway, Ted writes, count me among those who appreciated the moment of silence on March the 11th that gave us the opportunity to collectively reflect on what has transpired since the beginning of 2020 and the magnitude of loss that we have all experienced. I hope that this will become an annual remembrance, and why shouldn't it? We've passed the 50% of the number of lives lost in World War II, and the toll continues to mount daily. Your comments about returning to the office struck a chord for me. We may not be more efficient working from home, but something significant is lost when teams cannot have those chances encounters in the corridors or just bounce an idea or a question off a colleague without Zooming or phoning. Group cohesion requires connectivity. Societal cohesion requires connectivity. Over the past year, we've lost both and seen the rise of division based upon misguided views on masking, social distancing, and vaccines. Hopefully, herd immunity will be achieved by the fall of 2021, and we can return slowly to a more normal life. I say slowly because I'm reasonably certain that people will experience a high level of anxiety as they start to return to public spaces and will take time to truly feel comfortable in restarting their former way of working. Keep up the great work. I'm very happy to have your voice back in my life. Well, I'm happy to hear yours too, Ted, in your writings, because that that's a really good letter. Um, and I'm glad we're starting with it. You know, we usually end with the big letter. I think it's a great one to start with. Ted Harmon from West Mountain, North Hatley, Quebec. Susan Course from uh, Pooslinch, Ontario. Yeah, 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 the word jab. Try to make it light after, rather than use the word inoculation. And you picked up on that word jab. I did last week. I hate the word jab. I just don't like it. But Susan writes, here's some background on all that. The English use jab. The Scots use jag, J-A-G. Because we're both British subjects... And we are. I'm British. and Susan, I guess, is from uh, Scotland. As well as proud Canadians, it's important that we make this differentiation. Especially right now, as I'm hearing from my family in Scotland that members of the esteemed Scottish government have been hectoring people for using the English word jab because the Scottish word is, in fact, jag. Regardless of the what word we are using, I'm so happy that you have received your vaccination. My husband and I are thrilled to have our JAG appointments at our doctor's this coming Thursday. I guess that was yesterday. The rollout is on and with better days ahead for everyone. Jane Rusnak, who was a doctor, physician in St. Catharines, who wrote the letter last Friday, which was the letter of the week. Um, and it was about this issue about teachers. Uh, she did a follow-up. Uh, This week, this is an example of how we can't control other people's behaviors, only our own. But when we're asking the teachers to put themselves at risk for the sake of our children, we need to protect them the best we can. Immunizing teachers may help prevent them from having to go online again. However, we need everyone to be more diligent when it comes to preventing the spread of COVID-19 and listen to the recommended guidelines. The variants are much more infective than the original virus. And what we've been doing is not good enough. We need to be even better at wearing masks, washing our hands, social distancing. That means not traveling outside of our area. 
not having indoor gatherings, and so forth. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but as a collective group, our behaviors influence how close or how far away that day will be. Jan Debney writes, let's see, where's Jan? Let me try and track her down. What does it say? Okay. Can't find it. Uh, But she's clearly somewhere in Canada. Oh, no, here it is. She lives in Calgary. And she's always lived in Alberta. I was more than intrigued by your guest, Colin Robertson. Very interesting take on the two Michaels. Colin is a former diplomat uh, who was with us on Tuesday to talk about the situation between China and Canada. I had no idea what their jobs were and really believed that they were just taken at random. It stands to reason they wouldn't be, however. The media says little about that, perhaps by design. What I took from this is that he believes Canada has done a poor job on this two-fellow incarceration. I've always thought that China saw Canada as weak, largely because of Mr. Trudeau. Now, one would assume that he has people around him that would offer him suggestions on how to deal with this issue, who are much more experienced in this line of work than he himself. Alas, I am led to think he does not, as Mr. Robertson so aptly pointed out. He feels our government needs to have a special office for those in foreign affairs that actually do have the history, knowledge, and experience and expertise in this vital area. It is growing ever more important. My question to you, as you see it, is why does the media not consider that Mr. Trudeau is out of his league on issues like this and hold him to task for the decisions he's made with respect to this entire issue? Well, Jan, I'm sorry. He has been under the gun on the China issue for two years. And to suggest that the media hasn't been holding him to account on that is just wrong, because they have been. Um, especially some media organizations who have been really after him. Um, and that's what accountability is all about, so good for them. Uh, people just do not understand much of this, and it is the media they often turn to to get informed. That's right. So further to that, and because this was so informative, I have tweeted out your podcast so that more people will hear his take on this, which I believe is important information for all Canadians. Well, I'm glad you've done that. And Colin was a great guest. David Blatherwick in Coquitlam, B.C. Just listen to Monday's special podcast. Here in B.C., teachers are a part of Phase 2. We are wrapping up Phase 1 right now and will be done 75-plus and vulnerable groups by the end of the month. But the government is pushing up teachers in the worst-hit area in Surrey. My colleagues in Surrey will all have their vaccines by April the 1st. That's just in a few days. I expect to have mine by the middle of the month. I can't tell you what peace of mind that will bring for so many. I'll be able to relax a bit while still following all the guidelines so that we can hopefully stop this third wave short. Well, that's certainly what all of us are hoping for, right? Uh, Bob Welch from St. Johnsbury, Vermont. I recall the day you were pointing out how often the term unhinged or increasingly unhinged 
was used in news stories about the former guy, the former president. However, I'm noticing it used in all kinds of stories now. Once you called it to my attention, I began noticing it. A headline today in the New York Daily News. Unhinged woman sets herself on fire on Manhattan Street, critically hurt. Uh, Bob, you got to up your game in the papers you read. Nevertheless, I hear your point. I pay more attention to certain words, especially that one, says Bob. Steve Mitchell from Chatham, Kent, Ontario. I had to write in after all the messages you read about teachers and the vaccine. If you think way back, maybe you remember a game called Would You Rather? The idea being, would you rather do this or try that? As you were reading the story, I couldn't help but think about my father. He's exactly your age, and he has followed every rule that the various governments have outlined. He also has COPD, and like many men his age, smoked cigarettes for many years. I am, of course, a teacher, educational optimist, although that has been tested this year, and I've heard that I may soon be able to receive the vaccine. When I play Would You Rather in my head, I come to the conclusion that I would much rather my father receive the vaccine long before I do, my mother as well as she is the same age. It would calm me to know that they are protected before I am. I'm not sure I could live with the guilt if something were to happen to them. Thanks for the podcast and topic. I enjoy it daily as I'm marking after working hours. You know, this is that time of year, right? Teachers are marking papers. Of course, you know, those people who rant against teachers think they just work from, you know, nine to three. They don't recognize and that they have, you know, months and months off in the summer. Do a little research. It's a little more complicated than that. Uh, Carolyn Black writes from, I think it's Waterloo. I don't think, uh, she wrote this after um, a piece we did, I think it was just yesterday, on the effect of, uh, you know, off of the decisions around offices. And whether certain, in that case, uh, yesterday, certain uh, news agencies were going to close buildings and uh, and people were just going to work from home. Carolyn writes, I don't think this is exclusive to newsrooms. I started a contract role in August 2020 and have only worked from home since then. I've said many times since I started that I'm very thankful that I'm not looking for another role at this company. It's a great company, but I plan to retire at the end of my contract because the opportunity to network is exponentially harder when you're not in the office. I've done this role previously, so I haven't needed much guidance or training, but it would have been so stressful and discouraging if I was doing the job for the first time and couldn't just ask a co-worker sitting at the next desk. I love working from home. I'm saving a lot of money by not going to work. I don't have the stress of commuting and office politics are non-existent. I know this is not the case for many, especially, as you noted, people who are juggling other responsibilities and don't have a dedicated home office space. My heart goes out to them because I can only imagine how hard that must be. Brenda Deaver from Rothsay, New Brunswick. 
New Brunswick high school teachers will be vaccinated beginning March 24th. So they've already started, started was 24th, two days ago. And that's great. And it shows uh, New Brunswick and many of the, you know, Atlanta, Canada regions and provinces, you know, ahead of the game here. Well, at least ahead of many other places. Miriam Rajabelli from Kelowna, British Columbia. I'm a healthy 54-year-old. I know I'm not invincible, but I am also not feeling anxious. As such, I'm not so sure that teachers should take priority over other people for the vaccine. What I do believe is that regardless of age, priority should be given to anyone who is vulnerable and or has a pre-existing condition. I also support vaccinating hotspots. Just checking here. Yes, Miriam's a teacher. She teaches 19 grade one children. And she therefore shares a bubble with 19 different families. She double masks, has barriers at all student tables, invites her students to wear a mask. On any given day, anywhere from a quarter to a half of her class wears a mask. So there's a teacher who feels, you know, I take all the right precautions. I'm healthy. My students uh, listen to me. And I think there are others who are more deserving of vaccine than I am. That's interesting. Tracy. Uh, no. No, let's just check this out here first. Uh Kathy, not Tracy, Kathy Carter from Edmonton. Benjamin Tao was really interesting. I'd like to hear more of his thoughts on what we should change in education. Now, Benjamin was a guest last week. He's the um, assistant chief economist or the deputy chief economist of CIBC World Markets. And he was terrific. We We wanted somebody who could, you know, bring the economy down to kind of a grassroots level in terms of understanding. Um, And Ben uh, was terrific at that. He was great. Um, If if you didn't hear the podcast, it was a week ago Wednesday. Um, You should uh, go back. It was a smoke, mirrors, and the truth with Bruce Anderson. Our guest was Benjamin Tell. Um, And it was fascinating, and I've heard more than a few people uh, mentioned Benjamin, including a number of people in the financial sector who said, hey, that guy's great. You should have him on again, and we definitely will have him on again. But uh, thank you to Kathy Carter. Uh, Rob Green in Toronto. Please stop telling people that walking 7,500 steps is enough. There are so many benefits to walking and the strength and endurance you can gain from increasing those steps on an incremental basis is amazing. Okay, Rob, I, Peter Mansbridge, was not advising people to stop at 7,500 steps. What I did do was read the results of a study, a legitimate study, that it was trying to deal with this whole issue. Is 4,000 steps enough? Is 10,000, 20,000? What should you do every day? And the study indicated that you can do as many steps as you want, but the health benefits stop at 7,500 steps. They don't start decreasing after that, but 
7,500 is the figure that you got to get to if you want to maximize the health benefits. That's a study, Rob. It's not me. Um, Jill Snell on this same subject writes from Fernie, B.C. Having just finished listening to your Thursday podcast a week ago about steps and moderate to vigorous exercises and remembering comments from uh, another uh, broadcast where you mentioned participation, I wanted to let you know it's not just something from our past. I see, you know, I, I think it was uh, Lisa Barrett, Dr. Barrett from Halifax, who'd mentioned something about participation. And I went, whoa, boy, there's a there's a word from the past, because I remember in the day when participation used to flood the airways with uh, promotions, commercials, public service announcements about exercise. And there used to be a lot of them, and they became kind of like a kind of an inside joke about Canada. And so that was what I was referring to. But I appreciate this letter from Jill because I hadn't realized that participation really was still very around. Canada continues to support health through movements um, like participation. There is an app that is available for your phone or tablet that can be linked to phone's fitness tracker, a Fitbit, or used manually to track data such as steps, move minutes and active minutes. In addition, teams can be formed that can compete in national challenges. One of those challenges this year was called the Great Move and had steps being calculated or tabulated from the team to walk across Canada. Thought that all of these features fit in well with your topics and hopefully will motivate everyone to keep moving. So I guess participation is uh, still very much out there. Um, okay, here's one, and the author would prefer on this one not to have their not to have their name mentioned, and um, I think I can understand why. So I I will uh, I'll accept that. They're writing from Edmonton. Um, I recently retired, and so has my husband, and we have chosen not to supply teach, even though that was the plan pre-COVID. Now, with 88 and 89-year-old parents living independently in their home, we are avoiding all germs as much as possible to protect them. I do not want my teacher friends to have any repercussions with some of the observations I'm going to share with you, having taught over 40 years in this city it wouldn't be hard to put two and two together and figure out which schools I may be discussing, even without naming them. Okay, as a result, I'm going to skip some parts of this, but let me get to a a couple of things, um, the main points that I think uh, this writer is talking about. Teachers working in person with students are exposed to all kinds of germs and have the opportunity, as the doctor from St. Catherine's clearly outlined, to spread their germs to others. Many elementary teachers here in Edmonton have gone from a four supervisions a week to 16. My friends have a 15-minute window when they can eat lunch and in which chair they can sit, being physically distanced from others. One of my friends has to sit by herself on the school stage in the gym, no windows, to eat lunch every day. Don't even ask me how they manage to get a washroom break. When a clear teaching 
when a dear teaching friend did get COVID in mid-December, she was expected to make plans for two weeks and communicate daily with her supply teacher. God help us if she ended up in hospital and couldn't do that. On top of that, their principal keeps piling on more expectations and paperwork, keeping the office locked so no one can enter. If you need some paper or pens, you need to send an email and wait. This is not the year to refine your teaching practice. This is the time for your administrators to support you completely and not add more stress to your life. This is the time to do your best for your kiddos and keep everyone safe. Living in a province whose provincial government, except for a recent orange crush, has been routinely conservative, it is no surprise that teachers and teaching staff are undervalued. Everyone thinks they know what a teacher should or could be doing because, hey, they went to school, you know. Teachers are not part of the boom or bust pendulum and did not get huge pay increases when the oil money was good. But when it's not so good, they're expected, like everyone, to buck up and take a hit. And they have on more than one occasion. It's also interesting that the one province that is going to start vaccinating teachers is BC, well, New Brunswick too now, as we just heard, where we have a current NDP government. Is that a coincidence? I think not. Just heard tonight that in New Brunswick, uh, high school teachers will get the vaccine, so that's hopeful. Educators are nowhere near the top here in Alberta. Like your doctor's letter indicated, everyone likes to complain about teachers. All right. So the counter to uh, what that earlier letter had had to say. Um, let's take our quick break here now, and then we'll uh, we'll come back with the uh, letter of the week. Okay, a couple more letters, uh, and then we'll get to the uh, the letter of the week for this week. Here on the weekend special, wherever you get your podcasts or on Sirius XM. Glad to have you with us. Karen Boshi, a retired teacher from Edmonton. Got a lot of letters from Alberta this week, Alberta and BC. Karen writes, my vaccination experience was a positive one that I hope more people will not hesitate to take. The online booking worked for me, and I received my shot efficiently at an AHS, that's an Alberta Health Services, vaccination site close to my home. Pharmacies already give shots, and soon doctor's offices will be involved as well. Contrary to reporting, on many days, there are some things that our province is doing well. It is a shame when we don't recognize and learn from the best practices that are displayed and successfully carried out when dealing with this pandemic. For instance, one of the things that Albertans have benefited from is our centralized, province-wide Alberta Health Services system, which has facilitated the organization and delivery of the vaccine rollout plan. The investment and implementation process made here within the past decade to bring all health services and records online have enabled a more unified and efficient delivery of COVID-related vaccines. should put you together with uh, the earlier letter. 
And you, you two can have it out. They'll have a little debate. Now, this one's interesting. This one comes from Calgary. A very short letter. Um, and it relates to something we were talking about yesterday. Remember on yesterday's podcast, for those of you who may have heard it, we were talking about drones, right? So Ian Chicklow from Calgary writes, I enjoyed the drone talk today and thought I would share another use. A drone pilot here in Calgary that I work with on occasion was recently commissioned to fly a drone through whale blow to collect samples. Scientists could then study exactly what was in the blow. I thought that was fascinating. Well, I do too, Ian. Um, you know, unless you're pulling my leg, I think that that could be interesting. You might ask your friend uh, how he did that, and more specifically, what he found. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine that because uh, whale blow uh, comes out pretty hard and fast, and he was flying the drone through that, and the drone kept flying. It's interesting. All right. Letter of the week today comes from Kevin Bender. And it's just, there's nothing startling in this letter, but it is, you know, it, it once again shows we're all global citizens here and we're all, you know, trying to do the same thing and fight the same problem. So Kevin writes, I'm a Canadian living in London. It's in the UK, right? That London, I mean. I know you know where London is, but I'm just trying to make sure you know which London Kevin is from. I've been here for just over three years now, and I'm in my early 30s. It's been a very long year. Today, actually, being the anniversary of the day London was officially put into lockdown. I've been very fortunate that both my wife and I have managed to continue working from our flat and compared to the other hardships people past and present have been, present have been through, I really cannot complain. I'm safe. I have job security. Other than being a little bored on evenings and weekends, we're doing okay. The vaccine story. I wanted to give you some insight into how the vaccinations are going, at least in London, for some context. I'm listening to your podcast and hearing from friends and families about when they will get vaccinated, the process each province is going through. I believe that over here, things have been quite different. I've been counting down the days or trying to figure out when we were due to get vaccinated. My wife has checked out the NHS's website, the National Health Service, and they had us pegged first for 2022, a year away. Then it was the fall of 2021, this fall, then summer. And the last time she checked, it was now moved to mid-April. But out of the blue this past Thursday, I received a text message from my local GP inviting me to register for an appointment to receive my first jab. You got the jab thing going here, Kevin. I have controlled asthma, so I am considered in the group of high-risk individuals. I went online, and to my surprise, was able to book an appointment for that Sunday, last Sunday, 21st of March. 
although I could have gone Friday or Saturday. Multiple times at two different locations were available. You're living the dream. The process was very streamlined and smooth. They take your temperature, fill in some paperwork, ask about your history with regards to medication and side effects. Then you get to choose which arm you'd like the jab in. And just like that, my appointment was over, and I'd received my first jab of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccination. I got to tell you, what you've described that happened in the pharmacy is exactly what happened to me. Exactly. The exact same process when I went in. Right around the same time. I was in on Saturday. You went on on Sunday. Given the time differences, we're probably right around the same time. I wanted to write in because... Given my age, I felt a little insecure getting the vaccination so early. I don't know if every teacher and every healthcare professional here has received their jab. Back in Canada, I have parents, grandparents, and in-laws who have yet to receive their first jab. Man, you really like the jab word. Although I do believe my grandparents in Saskatchewan were about to get theirs over the next week or so. So why me and why now? Those are the same kind of thoughts I was having, right? Now, I'm double the age of our friend Kevin the Jab Bender here, but I'm not necessarily looking for an answer, as I know I won't ever get one. My name was called, and I was more than thrilled to find a suitable time to go in and get my jab. I know that I won't soon forget this past Sunday. It's an exciting time, and although there's still more work to do, it's nice to see some light at the end of the tunnel. I really hope that Canada is able to secure more doses and ramp their vaccinations up quickly, as I'd like to be home for Christmas this year and give my family a great big hug. So happy to hear you were able to get vaccinated. I look forward in my morning walk tomorrow before work when I can listen to your next podcast episode. Have a great day. Have a great week. Best regards, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Great letter. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a couple of times about that. It's kind of a cliche now, the you know, light at the end of the tunnel. And it always reminds me of covering the Meech Lake constitutional process, I've told I've told this story before very briefly. It was David Peterson who was then the Premier of Ontario, and there was a lot of back and forth, and all the provinces going to get on board, or they're not on board, what's happening? And it was a long, drawn-out week of meetings. And Peterson was scrummed one day, and somebody kind of asked him where we're where we were in the process, and his answer was, we can... You know, we can see the light at the, you know, I don't know, how did he phrase it? He said, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that we can't see it yet. So, how he knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel or not, we, we don't know. But we've used this tunnel expression a number of times over the last year, right? And we are increasingly now hearing expressions like Kevin used that I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and the Prime Minister, when he was a guest on this program just two days ago, didn't use that expression. I mean, we talked about emerging from the darkness, but he had that other great expression, I, I thought, 
which was, it's, you know, this is a little like a horror movie where you think you're at the end and then suddenly, wham, something comes out of nowhere. Surprise. To show you that you're not quite there yet. And for him, the variance may be that wham. And, uh, you know, he obviously didn't dream that up by himself. You know, his, uh, his healthcare experts are telling him the same thing. That could be a big problem. Which leaves us uh, to close out this week's, you know, quite incredible set of programs this week. Because we've had, obviously, the normal daily bridge, but we've also had good talk yesterday. If you didn't hear it, you should go back and find it, because it was terrific with Chantelle Baron Bruce. We had this special on Wednesday, a one-hour special with Justin Trudeau, which has made, I found out last night, made headlines around the world. Sirius XM in New York, the parent office, put out a, a release uh, last night talking about how... Uh, different news organizations around the world had picked up uh, some of the comments from the Prime Minister. And, of course, we had Smoke, Mirrors, and the Truth. We had the special interview with Colin Robertson. We had a lot of big programs this week. It's been a good week around the bridge. And I uh, hope you've had the opportunity to listen to uh, as many of them as possible. All right, I'm going to wrap it up with our normal Friday reminders to uh, follow the protocols. We're not out of this yet. You know what they are. I don't need to keep telling you. We just got to be smart. We got to be smart. Got to be safe. We got to be kind. All of those things. So next week, moving up to another holiday week. I'm Peter Mansbridge. Thanks so much for listening. This has been The Bridge. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Monday.